Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky, and as always, I'm joined by Greg. Good evening. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Greg. How are you? I'm nursing a bit of a hangover, uh, oh. but I, I'm through the I'm through the worst of it. I was in the obviously where where I live, uh, alcohol is forbidden uh, by law, but my neighbour up the stairs makes his own lager. So I usually have a few pints with him at the weekend. But the problem is he uses like a, a local non-alcoholic lager as a, to make it. He adds like sugar and yeast. I've, I've done it a few times as well. It's quite easy. But because there's already quite a lot of sugar in the non-alcoholic lager itself, and then you add a lot of sugar, the upshot is it's fucking really strong. It's like special brew. So like literally like three or four pints and you're hammered. But his his neighbour, who shares the landing with him, gave him a wee bottle of this stuff that he had made, and it had basically made boo. It's a, I guess a bit like you might remember the old uh, Smirnoff Moscow Mules kind of ginger yes. beer alcopop. He's kind of he's kind of made an alcopop using ginger beer. I think that's what did me in because I'm usually I usually know my limit on the on his beer. Like I usually I won't. I, Really go over three pints, never go over four pints. But I had a, I had a couple of these wee ginger beer ones as well, and they must have been like super strong. So the upshot is, I can't remember coming back down the stairs. I can't remember. I know I sent you and our other pal a message. I don't remember recording that. I don't remember going to bed. Like I came, I came into the living room this morning. My phone, my jeans, and my socks were on the sofa. So I'd obviously started getting ready for bed <laughs> in the living room. And uh, yeah, just a fucking absolute disgrace. So I paid the price, paid the price for my irresponsible consumption of alcohol. Drink responsibly, kids. So yeah, what 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 have you what have you been up to this week? Not a lot this week. Um, been busy with with work and not much else. And today was the first day I I wasn't busy, you know, because I'm still working from home. And I was like, okay, my my schedule's quite free. So I was very excited because I had pre-ordered the new Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Mm -hmm. 1 and 2 remastered edition. And I got my email yesterday to say it had been dispatched. So I have been back and forth to the post box downstairs probably about six times today. And of course, Sod's Law, it arrived 10 minutes before we started recording the podcast. So I'm very much looking forward to playing that this evening, if I'm able to wrestle the TV from my wife. But we'll see. I mean, I I, I don't think I ever played the second Tony Hawk's. I, I, I definitely played the first one. So I had that for my PlayStation when it came out. And I played the third one on my PlayStation 2. But I was reading, you know, like... On Facebook, there was you have all the comments under the articles and stuff, and uh, some games account that I follow posted about Tony Hawk's coming out this week, and this guy commented and said, "I hope they've they've left all that shit out that they started putting in after the third one." I think it was about five or six in total, though, wasn't there? So yeah. it might have been towards the end. I do seem to remember reading that the the later ones weren't very good because yeah. I think I did look for like a PS3 or a PS4 version a while ago because I you know, obviously love the game and reading reviews and stuff and basically saying stay away. It's it's one and two and that's it. You shouldn't 
really play anymore. So I am delighted to be able to relive my youth and pretend it's 1999 again <laughs> by playing this. And, you know, it's apparently all the same arenas and all the same Ska- skaters and stuff yeah. and same soundtrack, basically. So I'm uh, I'm very much looking forward to playing that. <laughs> and that's been about it. And that will probably be my weekend as well, apart from editing the podcast, obviously. So, uh, have you seen any news items from around Scotland this week that have caught your eye? Uh, I have. I've got two. They're both belters. I've got to be honest, they're both absolute belters. My first one comes from the Daily Record on the 23rd of August. So it's a couple of weeks old. Rangers fan, Sunis Clark, tries to steal boat after missing the supporters bus. (laughs) So... This is uh, this is a story of Sunis Clark. Obviously, comes from a big Rangers family. He'd been out. To, uh, he'd been at the away game, uh, FA Cup game at um, the Tony Macaroni Stadium in Livingston. Which I, I'm sorry, it, Livingston. Yeah, yeah, I know. Right? I I thought you were going to say it was an away game in France or Germany or something, but he's he's nicked a boat yeah. to get from Livingston. Back to Glasgow. Yeah, this was the Scottish League Cup quarterfinal uh, in September last year. So he's, um, yeah, he's got, he's he's got at Livingston to watch the game. He's missed him with his cousin. He comes from Clydebank, which is sort of west, of, just kind of west of Glasgow. It's probably about, I would say, maybe about forty miles from Livingston to Clydebank, give or take. But the bus is left without him, and he has decided to follow his friend to Perth because his friend had booked a room at the hotel in Perth, uh, a really nice hotel actually, the Balathi Country House Hotel. And uh, obviously, you know, he's, he's found himself in Perth the next morning. Perhaps he's thought, how the fuck did I get here? More importantly, how the fuck am I going to get home? And he's decided to steal a boat <laughs> or, try, or try to steal a boat. Um, he was seen down at the river uh, jumping in and out between two small anchored fishing boats. When he got into, finally managed to get himself into a boat, he's repeatedly tried to start the engine while another person, just remember his cousin, pushed the boat away from the bank. The police predictably were called. When Sunis saw the police coming, he jumped out of the boat into the river, ran a short distance along the bank, trying to hide in the dense shrubbery. He was told by the police, according to prosecutor Tina Dickey, he was told by police officers to get out the shrubs. <laughs> he refused initially, and he ran further down the banking into more shrubbery, and he continued to hide for 30 minutes. It was only after a, a police dog was dispatched on the scene, he sort of gave himself up. He ran away from the police dog initially, managed to fall in the river again, He's obviously admitted his guilt in this uh, amusing caper. Unfortunately, he's got a bit of previous for Rangers away games uh, when he was when Rangers were in Germany last year playing a RB Leipzig in Berlin. He was flung off an EasyJet flight for grabbing a stewardess's breast and was put on the sex offenders register as a result for ten years. So I think if I was Sunis, I would probably just give up on the away games because he's clearly having no luck. I think he's, yeah, he's up the creek without a paddle really there <laughs> yeah. when it comes to away games. What, 
What would possess you to steal a boat? I mean, I can understand you need to get home. Have you ever taken a strange mode of transport home on a drunken night out? I did, I did try to get my flatmate to push me home in one of those delivery cages that you sometimes see outside shops, but uh, pushed it really fast and it fell over and ended up fucking up my knee. That's probably the most uh, unusual mode of transport. What about you? Yeah, I remember that night well. I was there that night. Yeah, if you were. <laughs> I know. He's all, I mean, he's, he's, he's all just fucked off and left me, as I recall. Some, some, some kindly girls uh, helped me back up onto my feet. And by the time I got to the chippy, I had to join like a pretty long queue. You guys were at the front. And then back to my flat and left me on my own in the chippy. That's what friends are for. <laughs> um, I don't think so. I think probably the same a shopping trolley that you would find lying mm-hmm. in the street and one of you would get in it and you know push the other ones and it, invariably it turns out as a, a laugh to begin with and then someone gets a bit too daring and starts pushing it faster and faster and inevitably there's tears yeah you know your mum was always right there's there's going to be tears <laughs> and there quite often is yeah but no i think that's the only time i've ever taken a a strange mode of transport home. I mean, I, th- I think everybody just assumes that boats are quite easy to drive and stuff. You know what I mean? They do. I mean, living in Amsterdam, you see quite a lot of tourists that have obviously rented a boat for the day yeah. and think, ah, it's a piece of piss. And then you see them crash into the side of a canal or capsizing. You can see them steering off in the wrong direction and with a panicked look on their face of no way how to control this or to recover from it. So, no, it's definitely not an easy task to to drive a boat. What about you? What have you found in, in the news this week? Well, there has been trouble at the D Social Club in Dundee on karaoke night. An operations manager dived on an 87-year-old man and bit him twice during a Dundee Social Club's karaoke night. Uh, this is from the Dundee Courier uh, from the 2nd of September. So the the basis of the story is that they were having a karaoke night and the club vice president, Paul Neve, was up and he was singing Dean Martin's Ain't That a Kick in the Head. Now, our defendant, William Abbott, obviously took a bit of dislike to Paul Neve's rendition of ain't that a kick in the head I, I I don't know if there was maybe something if they had some previous going on right. and just didn't like Paul but who knows so to show his disdain he started flicking beer mats across the dance floor presumably at the stage and, and shouting abuse this 83 year old hero decided that he wanted to, to ask him to leave the club Mm-hmm. So this is uh, Mr. Young, is the 83-year-old the man. Right. He said that he was asking them to leave the club, and someone else came over and said to him as well, you have to leave. And he just turned round and jumped on me. He then bit me in the hand and then in the arm. The court heard that other patrons were horrified by what happened, and Abbott was described in court as being off his nut <laughs> because he was so drunk. <laughs> so... By the time police officers arrived at the scene, they found overturned tables, glass all over the floor, and this 83-year-old guy getting first aid. And now, this took a three-day trial. So I don't know if, you know, the Dundee courts are quiet at the moment, (laughs) and they're they're wasting time for three days on this. 
but the jury took less than 90 minutes to find father of two Abbott guilty of assaulting Mr. Young. What did he plead not guilty, did he? He did. He pled not guilty. Fucking hell. He pled not guilty to three other charges, uh, including assaulting Mr. Neve, who sang Ain't That a Kick in the Head, yeah. by punching him in the head. Right. And by recklessly throwing glasses at other customers. But those charges were found not proven. So he was only found guilty of the assault. In his defence, he said that for some reason he was asked to leave the club and he was just about to do so when Mr. Neve and others forced him to the ground and beat him up. Right. The the prosecutor said this simply isn't true. He was very aggressive and angry. And when an 87-year-old man... That's 87. Oh, yeah, it was 87. I think I said 83 earlier. When he told him to stop flinging beer mats, he took his anger out on him. I think the court took into account that Abbott had four previous convictions for violence, but the most recent of those was from 2010. So he must have been a reformed character for 10 years. His solicitor defending came out with, you know, that old defence. He has no specific recollection of doing what he was convicted of. So uh, it turns out that our, our brave hero took his Simon Cowell role a bit too far and took offence to, you know, maybe he's just a big Dean Martin fan, but decided to fling beer mats across and ended up biting a pensioner. I mean, you know, you would like to think if you get to the age, I mean, getting to the age of 87 is an accomplishment, especially in Dundee, you would imagine, right? But, uh, you know, you would like to think when you get to 87 that the chances of you being, like, randomly assaulted in the fucking pub probably behind you you know what i mean you would hope you're not hoping to go to your local social nights karaoke night and expect to get bitten no exactly exactly well you know this is the thing with karaoke right it's uh it's obviously tensions and emotions can run high so if, maybe maybe he wanted to sing that dean martin song and he was annoyed because that guy got in there first it could be i mean i thought it's not very often I've been to a karaoke night, but I can imagine the anger that would boil up in you if you have a, a specific song that you like to sing and someone sings it before you. That's got to piss you off because nobody wants to hear shang a you know, 20 times. I don't know. Depends who's singing it. <laughs> That's true. I th- I'm with you. I mean, I fucking hate karaoke. What was the karaoke bar in Aberdeen on... Um up near the old Odeon Cinema in the Bonacord Baths. Cafe Bardo. Cafe Bardo. I remember being in there one, once, one night, and I, I remember being surprised at how busy it was. And just, you know, people were like, oh, well, they're just, you know, yeah, he's not, he's not got a very good voice, but at least he's trying, at least he's brave enough to get up there and sing. Like, fuck off. You know what I mean? There's not, there is nothing noble in fucking ruining a... Westlife song or something, do you know what I mean, on a karaoke bar. So you've never been tempted to get up and give a little sing-song? No, it's not my cup of tea at all. I've done karaoke once because I was forced into it. Um, randomly, it was in the Priory oh, yeah. in Aberdeen. I think towards the latter stages, they ended up getting a karaoke machine downstairs because right. it was to drum up custom. Desperate. So... I, can't, I was out with a group and, you know, it was one of those that, oh, let's everyone sing a song. It'll be fun. And you know what I'm like in those situations? Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> no, no, no. You have to. You have to sing. Everyone has to sing. So I did. I got up and I, I sang a song. 
On your own? On my own, yes. What was it? I sang No Limit by Two Unlimited. <laughs> wow. It's a... It's an unusual choice. <laughs> I'm surprised it's in a karaoke book. There's, there's not many lyrics, so, you know, it's perfect. I was going to say, like, the words are easy to remember. Actually, you know, you, you've reminded me, I have done karaoke once, and you and I were talking about it recently, so it was in the student union in Aberdeen with their mutual friend, and uh, two girls had just started at my work who used to work where you used to work. I know you know these girls. And I was really quite keen on really quite keen on one of them, and keen to impress her. So our, our mutual friend suggested that he and I do a duet of, I think it was Common People by it was either Common People or Disco Two Thousand by Pulp. So I was trying to make a good fist of it. I was you know I was trying to do a good performance, and then about a couple of minutes into the song, I realised that our mutual friend wasn't even fucking singing. He was, he was stood beside me dancing to the song in front of everybody while I, and it, you know, I mean, it's not an easy song to sing. Like any like pop songs generally aren't easy to sing because you, you essentially have to like a sort of Jarvis Cocker impression. Neither of them are duets, so I think he was well within his rights to just be your bez. Was he shaking his maracas? It was his fucking idea to do it in the first place. Yeah, so yeah, I think that I think that's my one and only karaoke experience. What, Chesney Hawks? No, um, doing pulp and <laughs> Chesney Hawks. Sorry, it was a poor joke. The one and only, come on. It oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. Oh, Jesus, you're slow nah, today. Nah, a bit slow today, sorry. <laughs> that hangover's getting the worse of you. <laughs> anyway. What else have you seen this week that's caught your eye? Right, well, can, this is a absolute belter, and I, and I kind of need to read it kind of verbatim from the article. So it, it comes from the Daily Record. The headline is Iceland Jobby Horror for Scott's Mum <laughs> For Scott's Mum as hand hits human poo while fishing chicken nuggets out of shop freezer. Oh what? I know, right? <laughs> the the kind of byline is they did say sorry and gave me a box of Lindor chocolate balls as an apology. <laughs> That's surely the last thing you would want. Right, I, I, I got, I've got to read you this, right? A disgusted Scott shopper has hit out after her hand got covered in human feces while buying chicken nuggets from Iceland. Mum of four, Lynn McCabe, said she was horrified to discover she had been smeared in poo after putting her hand inside a freezer in the Salt Coats store at 3.30pm yesterday. Very exact uh, reporting here. Uh, Lynn from Kawinning realised there was human excrement on the packaging of the nuggets she was buying for her children's dinner when she accidentally touched her nose. What? (laughs) (laughs) The the 35-year-old said, The smell was awful. I must have touched my nose after I put the nuggets in the basket. At first, I didn't know where it was coming from, but then I realised. I was disgusted and just glad my little girl hadn't touched it first. Repulsed Lynn quickly told staff what had happened and said she was taken aback by their reaction and their goodwill gesture. She added, it firstly laughed, and then one was kind of heaving, saying, that's disgusting. They let me use the staff room to clean my hands. They did say sorry, and they gave me a box of Lindor chocolate balls as an apology. I mean, come on, I'm covered in poo, and they give me chocolate balls to say sorry. (laughs) Lynn claims 
staff blamed an elderly woman who had been in the store earlier in the day for the mishap and said they would need to look at till receipts and CCTV to find out what had happened. She said the staff told her the woman was unwell and asked to use the toilet. Then added, they said she made a right mess and they had to clean it up. I was a bit shocked they hadn't closed the shop though. Surely if they knew there had been an accident, they should have checked the place thoroughly. I mean, to be fair to the staff, you would expect that, right? After something like that happens. Lynn believes the poorly woman must have touched the box of chicken nuggets after her accident. She added, but what else did they touch in the shop? I don't think they've bothered to check. The situation was handled, was handled terribly by staff. Who knows what kind of germs that person had and, ju- and just it was lying there for hours before it was cleaned. After leaving the store, Lynn called Iceland Customer Service Department to complain. She received a call back from the area manager who said he had not been made aware of the situation. Then added, he offered me a £20 voucher, a bottle of wine and said there would be a few more freebies offered. Why the hell would I want to go back into that shop, says Lynn. Iceland have said that they're aware of the situation. A spokesperson said the store was closed for a deep clean but is now open as normal. I mean, you could not make it up. <laughs> well, first of all, Lynn, I guarantee you'll be back to spend your £20 voucher. <laughs> So just to, I just want to get this image correct in my head. So the elderly woman was in and she was ill. Yeah. So they're not saying that she hunched up and and squatted down above one of the freezers and took a shit in it. They're saying that she'd went to the bathroom, had a bit of a accident, probably still had shite in her hands and then went rummaging around the chicken nuggets and smeared the shite. I think that's the, that's the sort of implication. I think, yeah, that's. If, if it had been hours ago, now we're presuming it was just a smear and it's not like, it's not caked in in this mess. If it had been hours, would it not have frozen onto the box? Uh, well, you would you would think so, right? I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I'm not giving it quite as much thought as, as you're clearly giving it, to be honest. I mean, I'm not going to test it. I'm not going to wipe yeah. some shite on a box of fish fingers in my freezer and test if it how long it takes to freeze this isn't mythbusters here yeah. i just wonder I, there's something about this story that doesn't ring true and I, I just i just can't put my finger on it i wonder if think, i think lynn's at it i think lynn's at it i was going to say i think she's i at think it. lynn's at it yeah i think she's the type that would have like a a fly in our pocket and we'd put it in our soup just as she's just finished it yeah. and be like oh there was a fly in my soup I just something about this doesn't ring true I remember seeing a documentary about people who do that like years, years ago maybe like 20 years ago it was on and it was following these two girls who do that sort of thing just to try and get stuff for nothing and they were they, were, they, were, they booked into this hotel they were staying in this, the same room so one of the girls got like an empty what's it's bag out of her handbag and she poured a bit of water in it and then sort of smeared, she kind of, she unmade the bed and smeared the sort of what's it dust, water dust, water mixture on the bed because it looks like shite, basically. And then she she called up the uh, the room service and was all indignant. This is disgraceful. Someone shat this bed. <laughs> we want you know it's not good enough. We're leaving a hotel. Blah blah. blah and she managed to get a, an upgrade to a nicer room. But they were like, but they were doing stuff like that, and they were they were they would buy like, like I say a vodka and lemonade at a bar. They would drink maybe a third of it, and then they would 
sneak it into the bathroom, top it up with water, and then come back and complain to the bartender that their drink tasted watered down and all this sort of stuff. I mean, just a bunch of wankers. So you do you, you think Lynn's maybe maybe been doing that sort of thing? I don't want to say anything about Lynn. I'm not accusing her of anything. I'm just saying there's something about this story doesn't quite add up. To be honest, you know, with the start of the headline, I was expecting there to be a big, big jobby six in the freezer. Inch jobby in the freezer. <laughs> and I had so many questions going on in my brain of, you know, how did that get there? Why was it not frozen? What was going on here? Who did it? Uh, for it to be a bit of a smear on a packet of chicken nuggets, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't want it to happen to myself. But I just, I love the thought of her picking out these chicken nuggets, putting it in our trolley, and then having a sniff of our fingers <laughs> touching our face. It smells like shit. <laughs> That's what I mean. It must have been, it must have been more than just a smear, you know, to get like a because she said that she she could sort of smell shite before she accidentally touched her nose and that's when she realised that she had shite in her hands. <laughs> so <laughs> it must have been like a fairly a fairly modest amount on there, right? I, I would expect so for it to be that noticeable and yeah. And, and another scenario, and if we're giving Lynn the benefit of the doubt, right, is the the wee old woman is maybe like been holding the chicken nuggets and then shat herself a wee bit, and so, you know, and then we, and then sort of kind of had a had a feel in her knickers, realised what's happened, maybe, and then used her sort of soiled hand to put the nuggets back in the freezer, unwittingly in the process, smearing shite across the box, before asking the store staff if she can use the bathroom. I'm sure, I'm sure she would have washed her hands after going to the toilet. You know what I mean? That is a very plausible scenario. Yeah. I never thought about that. And that, that could... I think you may have cracked this case <laughs> in that issue. The yeah. only thing that worries me is, why is an elderly woman buying chicken nuggets? Well, like, I don't know. Chicken nuggets aren't just for kids. Chicken nuggets are for everyone. Chicken nuggets are for everyone. Well, there you go. That's the, the new slogan for chicken nuggets. <laughs> Iceland's chicken nuggets... Yeah, for everyone. And they don't smell like shite. Yeah, although they probably do taste like shite, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Those uh, scatological stylings concluded. Do you have uh, another story? I I can't possibly beat that. But the the only other thing I saw this week that did tickle me, but it's I I, I can't beat the the Iceland, (laughs) the elderly Iceland shiter. (laughs) The menace to Iceland. (laughs) society Um, so we uh, obviously you have, not obviously but you have a few I'm sorry, I'm totally thrown off by the job in the freezer (laughs) the the strange case of the job in the freezer like myself, you have a a, a couple or you have a few tattoos and it's something that your, your tattoos mean something to you yeah. Um, uh, and I'm the same, you know, my t- tattoos that I have mean something to me. And, you know, if I was to get any more in the future and I'd, I, I would like to get some more, you know, it's important that they are something that, that means something to me and that I like as well. Would you ever get a tattoo of your favourite nightclub? What do you mean, like, of the building? Or the, the, lo- uh, the logo? No. So 
this is a, a Glasgow venue. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It's SWG3. I know. So it, it's a nightclub. It's a, it's a popular bar and club, apparently, in Glasgow. So this guy, who it doesn't give his age, I don't think. Um, nope. He's decided to get SWG3 tattooed just above his sort of left breast area. And it's not massive, but it's, you know, small, but it clearly says SWG3. So I think he got this done hoping that his tattoo would entitle him to, like, free entry and discounts in his favourite nightclub. You know, as you would think, he's now a walking promotion for this. Yep. As is the, the culture nowadays, he sent them a tweet with a photo of his new tattoo and saying, can I get free entry for life? And... He got a response quite immediately right. from uh, the the bosses at SWG3, and his response I don't think was probably what he was anticipating, because they replied with, "That's not even the right font, mate." <laughs> Shocker! Shocker! <laughs> so, and then they retweeted it for their entire following with just the word "shocker." <laughs> so it's true his font looks something like Helvetica that he might have or Garamond that he has got his tattoo in and SWG3's logo is very much the kind of the army right. spray paint you know like the A-team, A-team type logo. Yeah. You know, logo I'm not sure what that's called but he's got that as their logo so yeah he didn't even get so um he was branded an absolute shocker and hit with a double whammy that his tattoo wasn't even in the correct font. Fair play to the lad, but I don't know what would possess you to get a tattoo like that. I'm never going to get the Belmont Bar tattooed on my shoulder. <laughs> the, sc- the schooner. The schooner, yeah. That would be a, a good little tattoo to get. Um, so did you, see a, did you see a picture of this uh, tattoo? Does it, look like a, does it look like a real tattoo or does it look like he's maybe written it on himself no it does it looks like a real tattoo it's got the red around it and kind of raised slightly so yeah. he does he hasn't just done it himself with a biro it looks professionally done it's it's not like a prison tattoo or anything but yeah. i'd imagine that's going to be getting covered up probably quite soon uh, how 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 big would you say it was like a couple it, inches long uh, it's not even that big it's maybe a yeah it's maybe like an inch tall Right. And a couple of inches long, so it's only a few letters. So it's not massive. He's still stuck with that. Yeah, and it's, until he gets it covered up. And it, it it will cost them probably. It still cost them about twenty quid or something. Do you know what I mean? Twenty twenty five quid. It is a bit small. It should be quite easy to cover up. Then, yeah. Yes, I can imagine so. And he'll probably want to cover it up after that response from his now least favourite venue. So, I think that covers the news for the week. Uh, I don't think we're going to beat the, the Iceland jobby for quite some time. And I, I'm, I'm going to be, that's going to keep me awake tonight, thinking about how that happened and what that elderly woman's up to. And if, if her shopping was covered in shite, like, you know, imagine when she got home and she's unpacking her bags and she's like, oh, great. You know, I've shite all over my messages. <laughs> yeah. I, know, I think, we had, you know, I think I think Iceland have a social responsibility to try and reach, reach out to this wee woman and make sure she's all right. The The beauty of it is, though, everything's in boxes, so you can just scrape it off. Shall we delve into a review, then? Let's.
Okay, so it was your choice this week, and so why don't you tell us about what you've chosen and... Okay, so I chose actor and director Peter Mullins' 1997 black comedy Orphans uh, for this week. His feature film directorial debut. He had he had directed a few short films before this. But yeah, so we uh, when, when was the last time you um, watched this? Quite a while ago, I would think. I'm, I'm certain it was you that introduced me to this film. Uh-huh. And it was would probably be about 20 years ago would have been the last time that I watched it. So it was very good to, to revisit it and watch it again, probably as a slightly mature and being able to appreciate some other things that are in it. I, I had a startling realisation that there's an actress that I had thought was in this film that isn't actually in it. But it, yeah, it had been quite a while and it was really great to revisit it and, you know, thoroughly enjoyable. But I mean, as I say, you introduced me to the film. So what was your memories of it? You had obviously seen it before I had. When this came out, I was a huge film fan, like very, very, very serious about it and things. Like you'll, you'll remember my video wall <laughs> in my flat in Aberdeen uh, with all my VHS tapes and things. Like whenever, whenever Virgin or HMV had a buy three for 20 quids or whatever, I would, you know, I'd just go and buy them and um, top up my collection. I used to buy the like Empire and a couple of other film magazines. So I, I, I had read about it in Empire. I didn't... Peter Mullen, up until this point, to me, was one of these actors who you just sort of saw in a lot of things, but you didn't really know who he was. You know what I mean? Or at least I didn't know who he was. You know, he's, he plays uh, the mother superior in Train Spotting. He plays um, one of the gangsters in Shallow Grave. But he's been he's been an actor in Scotland for probably almost 40 years. I was actually, I was down in Cumbernauld seeing my dad's and we rented it from uh, his local global video shop. Uh, and it was, it was his choice actually, but I had, like I say, I'd read about it and I was quite keen to see it because it was set in Glasgow and, you know, like the whole, the whole, the whole reason that we've um, decided to do this podcast is because of our mutual appreciation of like Scottish movies and TV shows and all that. So obviously I was keen to see it for those reasons. So my, yeah, my dad and I watched it uh, that night and I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. Like brilliant. Cause it's, it's such, I mean, it's such black comedy and it goes from just like some out and out hilarious moments to some quite dark and sinister moments in like, in a beat, you know? Yes, it does. It certainly does. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I think that's what, what struck me. It, it does go uh, to, yeah, very dark moments and then there is something that, you know, kind of makes you burst out laughing. And that's what I, I love, you know, really enjoyed about the film because obviously for anyone who's not familiar, it tells the story about four siblings, you know, gathering together for their mother's funeral. And it struck me that the, the four siblings are all so different and you can immediately tell they're different personalities and they look very different. And although they do provide some comedic value, I think it's some of the side characters that, that do provide the, the funniest moments. Certainly in terms of John's mate Tanga, played by Frank Gallagher. He's a, a very sinister and dark character, but he does provide a lot of humorous moments. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, to describe the sort of four leads, as you say, it's the night before their mother's funeral. 
the the oldest brother is Thomas, played by Gary Lewis, and he's the you know he's played that he's not too bright, but he's a kind of dutiful son. He's prom he promised his mother that he would spend the night in the church with her the night before the funeral. He would spend the night with the coffin. You've got uh, Michael, who's the second older brother, played by Douglas Henschel, and he's the kind of the more assertive one, the sort of you know the I don't know I don't know how you describe Michael. He's uh, but he's he's kind of like he's he, he's he's more like the kind of older brother than Thomas uh, in some respects. And then there's John, who's the you know he's a student, he's the younger brother. He's uh, and then there's Sheila, who plays the sister, uh, who's the sister, and she's disabled. Sorry, John's played by Stephen McCall, uh, who we spoke about on the last podcast. He's a, he plays Willie in the Rockstar's Guide, uh, the Young Person's Guide to Becoming a Rockstar. There's Sheila, played by uh, Rosemary Ferns, and she's disabled. I think she's got uh, cerebral palsy. And, it, you know, it's, it's the night before the funeral. Thomas is spending the night in the church. Michael gets stabbed in the bar, uh, although it's not, it's, well, obviously being stabbed is always serious, but it's. He's like walking wounded. Um, John is furious and goes after the guys that the guy that stabbed him. And uh, Sheila uh, has to go with Thomas to the church and ends up getting separated from him and getting a bit lost and taken in by some kindly strangers. So, but yeah, really, really black humor. And I, I think like, Peter Mullen wrote it shortly after losing his own mother, I believe. He did, yeah. And you know, he says each of the main characters represents an element of what he was feeling at the time. And you can completely get that because they are all different in a way. Gary Lewis playing Thomas, he is very, you know, he's still in the stage of, of grief. He's, he's outpouring and you see him when he's singing, oh, come back to karaoke. And yeah. he, he breaks down and he obviously just doesn't want to leave his mother's side in the coffin. So he's very much the, the grief element. Steve McCall as John is representing anger, I would say, because of what's happened to Michael, but it's more, I think, his way of coping that he, yeah. you know, is, is being very angry. In terms of Michael's character, I'm not sure. It's almost like acceptance in a way, because he's kind of just dealing with other things. So he's obviously got issues of his own, who's separated from his wife and, and kids, and he's he's still not thinking rationally though because you know at the end when he goes into his work to try and claim that his stab wound had happened there so he could claim on the compensation yeah and sheila of course and now up until i'd rewatched this i was convinced that she was played by shirley henderson and i'm not quite sure why but for some reason in my head that Shirley Henderson was in this film. She plays the girl in the wheelchair, but obviously not. I'm not quite sure what stage of grief she would be at. Sheila's quite a, a headstrong, doesn't yeah. she? Just kind of wants to to get out of the church, and she wants to go and see Michael. And she, she has like a little comical side story of her own, really. Yeah. When she ends up at a, a random birthday party, but I think you could tell from the four siblings, they're all like acting differently in terms of I think. Thomas, as I say, he's very grief-stricken, but I think he wants to just almost show how much he is grieving. Because at the start, they have a lovely bit where they all cut a lock of their hair and put it in the coffin to be with their mum. And the other three take a little bit from the back of their heads that's going to go unnoticed. 
and Thomas just takes a massive chunk out the front of his widow's peak, one of the sides, <laughs> and spends the rest of the film with this big chunk out of his hair. And I don't know if that's to show that he's not thinking rationally or if it's to show that my grief's bigger than yours, so I'm going to do yeah. this. He's the one that gets up to sing the song. He's the one, you know, that at, at the end carries the coffin on his own, which is a, a fucking beautiful metaphor for to show that he's carrying the burden of everything. Yeah. Whereas the other three, they're more looking out for each other in terms of... John's off on a mission to get revenge for Michael being stabbed. Michael's off to try and find Sheila. And Sheila's, well, she's trapped in a birthday party. But, you know, all she wants is to get back to Michael and John, effectively. So they're all kind of caring and looking out for each other. Whereas Thomas, he didn't even want to let Michael in the church. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a good scene, that. Uh, Michael, he's banging on the door demanding sanctuary in the pissing rain and just discovers that the side door's open while Thomas is still talking to him through the door. Michael appears behind him. I think, I mean, it's testament to like, the, the the actors in this because you like, they, they don't look alike, as you say, like, they don't look alike in any way, but you still totally buy them as siblings. In the, you know, in their relationship. But yeah, I guess it's the... It's, a well-written, you know, it's a well-written script as well. You know, like you can you can fully believe in the conversations and everything. You totally buy that they're siblings. You know, you can sense the kind of history there and all that sort of stuff. But, but I think particularly between uh, Michael and Thomas, because John and uh, Michael don't have they they don't really have that many scenes together. Like there's this scene outside the bar after Michael's been stabbed, and then later on in the church. Uh, when they turn up at the funeral, but you know, they're fairly short scenes. Whereas this, 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 the scene in the church with Thomas and Michael is probably is the longest, really. You know what I mean? And you could, you know, and, and that whole exchange about you know when he's trying to light his cigarette on the ceiling heater, and he says, "I'm not, I've not done this since I was an altar boy." And Thomas says, "You were never an altar boy. I was an altar boy." And Michael's like, "You were never an altar boy, Thomas." Yeah, the bit that gets me about that scene is that he gives him a lift up to get a light for his fag on like a a lamp and then it cuts to the next scene where you know he's got a candle so was he just trying to be an awkward prick and not offering him the candle to light his cigarette but yet giving him a lift up i don't know maybe just a bit of poetic license maybe but uh yeah because he's of course the the virgin mary's been smashed because sheila's like driven a wheelchair into Thomas and knocked him over and he's knocked over the statue of the Virgin Mary and he's he's, he's using the candle wax to put it back together and he's he's actually he's, he's actually done a pretty good job so far you know when you see it he's got about he's got about half of the Virgin Mary reassembled <laughs> well he's had a fair bit of time on his hands but to be fair that's a, a bastard of a jigsaw to put together the one scene in this film that I hadn't seen it for quite a long time, Orphans, when I came to watch it again for the podcast. But uh, the scene that... And I think every time I see this film, it always surprises me, is when uh, Tanga catches a face full of jizz. <laughs> the cat. Yeah, I, I really wasn't expecting that. I didn't remember that from the watching it the first time. And when that happened, it, it, it took me almost as much as surprise as it probably took Tanga. It yeah. was 
it's it's very unexpected and I, I, that is just absolutely brilliant it's just so funny so comical so unexpected yeah well that's that's one of these scenes that start that, that we mentioned earlier it starts off like incredibly funny and then it takes a really dark turn like a few minutes later yeah i mean i suppose with i mean back then you wouldn't have got a scene like that in um like a sort of hollywood film i don't think i mean this was like kind of before films like american pie and there's something about Mary and all that sort of stuff came out, but I guess you know within the pen, with I think with, especially with British independent films, they've always been able to be a bit edgier, you know what I mean, and a bit maybe a, a bit more graphic about certain things. <laughs> but I mean, I just I mean every time I see that film, I'm, I'm never prepared for that scene. No, it's it's definitely a, a quite unexpected, but as you say, it shows how the film works in that it is. A very comical moment, and then it turns very dark because Tanga is obviously enraged at having this guy, this this customer that he hates, yeah. uh, jizz in his face accidentally, and guy got a fright so much so that you know barges into his house and is about to effectively rape his wife, and so yeah, it does take a very sinister turn but thankfully john kind of saves the wife from from getting raped did you spot um early in the in the movie uh when they're still in the bar after the incident did you spot clatty bella from uh just a boy's i did not no it's clatty bella in there she is she's uh she's the scene where uh thomas is talking he's talking to her about how he care how he's the full-time carer for sheila who's disabled and she's the woman that's saying how she cared for her mother for 20 years and before it got too tough and she had to put her in a funeral home. Wow. Um, not a funeral home, an old folks home. Yeah, uh, Jan, Jan Wilson, like her name is. She's, I mean, she's a wee bit like Peter Mullen in the sense that she appears in a lot of things, like a lot of Scottish stuff. I'm sure, you know, she's even she's turned up in a couple of episodes of Still Game as well and uh, she's obviously done the Taggart gauntlet at least once, because I've been watching Tiger lately, and she was in one that I, she's in one that I watched the other day. So yeah, it was good to see her there. And then, of course, Alex Norton. I know you like to see him pop up. I do. I'm a big fan of Alex Norton, and he is fantastic as probably the angriest pub landlord in the world. Now, my question would be, why in the name of fuck would you want to drink in a pub like that? Yeah, I know. You would go once. And maybe and probably leave after one drink. Yeah, or end up getting locked in the cellar, like four of our heroes seem to be. And a fantastic appearance from Maureen Carr, who plays Edith in Still Game. And I was shocked to the core to realise that her voice is actually like that. <laughs> a raspy voice. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't actually realise that was her until you just mentioned that now. Now that you mention it. She does have uh, one of the best lines in the film when they're explaining to Michael how they've ended up being taken prisoner in the keg room in the cellar. Because our, I guess that guy's meant to be her partner that she's with. He, he, he's, been, he's been chatting up some other woman. And it's all your fault. It wasn't my fault. She tried to strangle me. Look at the marks on my neck. Like, well, you deserved it. Chatting up that fat slag. Wasn't he chatting her up? We were talking about Jean de Florette, man on the sewers. She uh, speaks fluent French. Aye, and you talk constant pish. Yeah, of course, The Alex Norton is the, the angry pub landlord who locks people in the cellar, and he gets his comeuppance in quite a big style in terms of getting hogtied to a chair whilst they 
effectively drink all his profits. And hey, if you're going to tie up a, a pub landlord and you've got free reign of the bar, would you not do that to teach him a lesson? Maybe. I don't know if I would draw a dartboard in his arse and start throwing darts at him, though. Yeah, that's maybe a bit too far, I guess. Yeah, it's a good scene. Anyway, we didn't mention the the scene near the start with the guy who's just had the baby and the conversation in the pub toilets. <laughs> the guy's buying condoms. That, that, that was a character that I really kind of wanted to see more of because he was just sublime, like brilliantly funny. And we've all met guys like that, you know, that are just a bit pished on cloud nine for maybe their football team's won, maybe they're just as a baby, like that guy, or maybe they're just having a really good night, maybe they're on, maybe they're on pills, whatever, <laughs> they're just, you know, just ch- chatting away, friendly to everybody. Well, he's enjoying himself, he's obviously just had a baby, he says about riding bareback and not using the poppy hats. Hey man, what are you doing? You don't want any of that fucking rubbish. Get out there riding bareback, get yourself hundreds and hundreds of fucking babies. Am I right, Biggie? Am I right? Aye, right. You get anyways? And two. Two? Hey, hey, you hear that? This cunt's got fucking two. Come on, you bastard. I love you, big man. I do. I fucking love you. Oh, you might well be right there, wee man. You might well be right. At least I don't wear fucking pokey hats. Unfortunately, he kind of gets caught up in the kerfuffle and yeah. the fight and ends up getting thrown out and they won't let the poor guy back in it's maybe for the best i think maybe he was getting on people's tits but <laughs> poor guy is enjoying his night out and he gets thrown out the pub and doesn't get back in i mean the, the thing about this film i mean I've, he's, he's not he's not directed a t- ton of stuff uh peter mullen like he did the he did the Magdalene Sisters a couple, a few years after this about the set in Ireland, about the girls being sent to the home for getting pregnant and stuff. He did, he did, he did Ned's again, which is, although it has some quite funny moments, it's a, you know, it's mostly quite a serious, dramatic film. You know, this is like, for it's the only time he's done this sort of out and out, it doesn't come much blacker comedy. But I, I guess for him, this was a good year for him because he had just won the he had just won the best actor prize at Cannes for his starring role in um, Ken Loach's My Name Is Joe, but a recovering alcoholic. So I guess his I, I, I guess his his stock was pretty high. Now, of course, he's in uh, Ozark on Netflix, doing doing a very convincing American accent. <laughs> got to say, yeah, as you say, his stock was obviously very high and. Do you know that Channel 4 sort of gave the funding for Orphans when he was trying to get the project off the ground? But they decided after it was made that they weren't going to distribute it because they didn't think it was it had that wide an audience that people would want to see it. So Peter Mullen took it to the Venice Film Festival and it won four awards at the festival including one for Peter Mullen. So it started getting a bit of hype around it. So Channel 4 came back to him and said, OK, we'd, we'd like to distribute it now. And Peter Mullen effectively told them where to go. <laughs> now, I don't know if that's cutting off your nose to spite your face, but I guess it's sticking to your principles as well in terms yeah. of, well, you didn't want to do it, so why why would you want to do it now? No, I like, you know, I like Peter Mullen. I listened to his, because uh, I've got the DVD of Orphans. I've had it for years and years. And there's a, remember when they used to do, uh, used to do commentaries on DVDs as a special feature, remember? And he, he, he does the, he, I listened to his commentary for Orphans. 
Well, I don't remember him mentioning about the Channel 4 thing. I guess maybe, you know, he didn't see the point in it. He probably knew that he would be appearing in some Channel 4 funded projects in the future. Who knows? Maybe it's half-assed internet research, but I'd like to think it was kind of true. We haven't mentioned, in my opinion, the unsung hero of the Swally so far, Mr. Dave Anderson, who appears at the funeral. He has appeared in three out of the five episodes of the Culture Swally so far. Now, it could be that we've picked things that are a similar era, just a boy's game, Gregory's Girl, but he's jumped into the future now, starring in the the latest instalment of Orphans. So, yeah, big shout out to Dave Anderson, the unsung hero of the Swally so far. Yeah, I mean, again, he's just one of these Scottish actors who just seem to appear in everything. I mean, he he was also in a an episode of Taggart that I watched last week. So it's literally been... Because uh, I know we'll do Taggart at some point, but yeah, I've been burning through the first... I think I've watched like the first four uh, Taggart stories um, over the last uh, couple of weeks. And he, he's, he's, he was in the last one I watched. And so was Alex Norton, who obviously would go on to play the lead in Taggart. Not play Taggart, obviously, but uh, the, the, sort of the lead in the show... But he was in a, he had a part as a suspect in um, an early Taggart as well. As you say, it's one of those Scottish actors that you just kind of recognise. It's the same as Douglas Henshaw. Now, if you'd said that name to me, I instantly knew who you mean. And years ago, if you'd said his name to me, I would have easily, instantly know exactly who you meant. So in researching the film, I was like, but what, what do I actually know him from? And I looked through all of his credits, and there's not a lot in there that I've watched. So I, I just can't understand how he's got into my brain. And for, as I say, years ago, I would have known who he was. I don't know if it's just one of those Scottish actors that, you know, maybe he was in the paper a lot or, or something. I know he's quite famous now in terms of, of Shetland. Yeah. And I, I remember my mum was watching it one day, and by was, as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, that's Douglas Henshaw. <laughs> know who he is, but I've never watched Prime Evil. You know, I I know he was in Lipstick on Your Collar years ago, so maybe yeah. that was where I remember him from. But just one of those Scottish actors, I think. It was in one set. Was it called Taking Over the Asylum? I think. I think David Tennant was in it as well. Like an old. I think it was like a drama, like in the kind of early nineties. I think he was in that, and I've. He was in. Uh, he was in one of Peter McDougall's plays. Well, maybe um, maybe we'll review this in a future episode. Uh, but there's one called "Down Among the Big Boys." He's in that. He plays a police officer who is engaged to Ashley Jensen from um, Extras and Ugly Betty. Her dad is played by Billy Conley, who's a bank robber. So it's all about how you know he's a policeman marrying a bank robber's daughter, basically. But it's it's good. It's it's a it's a good. Uh, it's, it's a good one. He's also in Prime Evil with Hannah from S Club Seven. It, it was it was in a film I remember going to see years ago that I quite enjoyed called This Year's Love. Like David Gray did the music for it, which mm. you know it's it's unfortunate, but um, <laughs> the film itself's really good. Uh, he's in it. You, have you seen it? Uh, this Year's Love. No, I wouldn't watch shit like that. It's good. It's worth watching. It's it's a it's a it's a kind of comedy drama, but it's good. No, I'll pass. Thanks. I seem to remember the TV adverts being on all the time, and me watching it and thinking, 
that looks like a big heap of shite. Yeah, I Obviously, they, they all get together at the end for the, the funeral, and there is a very touching scene towards the end of the film where... Yeah, I, I never thought about that before, but of course, the, the start of the film, they're all together. Yeah. And then they all go on their separate ways, and then at the back, the end, they all come together again. and They're trying to get Thomas to go for a, a curry with them, but he says no, and then he says, oh, I'll see you there. And I'm quite similar in that way, that they turn around and they're like, you're not going to come, are you? And I'd be that kind of guy, like, yeah, I'll see you there, just to get rid of you. Yeah. I'm not, no intention of coming, but he decides <laughs> that he'll come, because the... I'll maybe just come for a starter then, because the mushroom pakora's no bad. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great performance from uh, from Gary Lewis. I mean, this was the first film I think I'd seen him in. And then after I saw Orphans, I seemed to see him everywhere. I mean, because he famously plays Billy Elliot's dad, and then uh, Jamie Bell's dad, and then um, in Billy Elliot. He's in Gangs of New York. He's got quite a big part in Gangs of New York. Yeah, he's just, he's just kind of, he's been fairly prolific. It's just over the years, Gary Lewis. I met him once in a bar in uh, Mount Florida in Glasgow called Clockwork and he was very friendly, very generous with his time, happy to sit and talk or hear me talking shit to him for like 20 minutes about films and all that sort of stuff. You know, nice fella. But yeah, I mean, I think this is, as, as much as he's very good in everything that he does, I, th- I think this might be my favourite performance of his. I think he's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, he certainly is. He does play a, a very, very good performance in the film. Yeah, it does kind of steals the show. Well, I'd say, to be honest, Frank Gallagher as Tanga steals the show for me. <laughs> yeah. But he, he does do a very good uh, performance. I'll give okay. you that. So, favourite scene in the film? Ah, it has to be the, the spunk in the face scene, I think. Um, <laughs> it's It's definitely up there randomly I think another favourite scene of mine would be when Sheila's wheelchair stops and she gets surrounded by the, the 12, 13 year old girls and they're all speaking to her and one of them comes up with a paper bag and tries to sell her a daily record. <laughs> yeah. I think that's just a, it's quite a sweet little moment and you're almost fearful for Sheila because you know she's a you know, disabled girl that's wheelchair is yeah. broken down and all of a sudden, these teenage girls are surrounding her, but they couldn't be nicer and help her on her merry way. Yeah, the wee girl. I mean, it's that to your point. It's so surreal that scene because there's the wee girl that finds her first, and she's got this big sort of tall princess's hat on, and she's walking about playing uh, Freya Jaco in the harmonica <laughs> in the middle of the fucking night. Just random. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm with you, I think. those I, I like those scenes uh, with, with Sheila when she's, uh, you know, when that when the wee girl's family take her in and, you know, and she ends up staying the night through the storm and all that sort of thing. The, the, the wee girl just cracks me up. It just, re, just reminds me of, like, my younger cousins. It's, it's, it's especially when she shouts, shut at you! At the old, at the old lady. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's just, this is really good that we go. And then, if so if they were to, do you think? What do you think the orphans would be doing now if they were, if we ever given the chance to revisit the characters? Peter Mullen decided to do a, a sequel. What do you think they'd be doing? I'm not sure. I mean, I'd imagine the the sequel would probably be set around one of their funerals to to kind of yeah. get the others back together. So, not to make a point, but probably Sheila's. I would imagine that 
John's probably in prison. Right. <laughs> we'll get out for the funeral. He seems to have a bit of a temper on him, and he's been getting firearms and stuff. <laughs> um, Michael, probably an alcoholic after his, his divorce and stuff, and not getting to see his kids. And Thomas is probably shacked up with an 18-year-old stunner. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Think so. Let's give him a happy ending. Yeah. No, I think I think you know I think you're right. I would I would I'd, I'd like to think though that uh, John maybe because they there's a they they make, they make a lot of the fact that John has gone to he's the, the the only one that's gone to college because his mum wanted him to go to college. Although he has his he has his night where he he almost he almost shoots a a guy almost shoots a guy and and the guy's baby. And then he has the opportunity to kill this guy as well after they have the fight in the middle of the road and everything. But he, 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 he sort of seems to come to his senses, you know, and, you know, he kind of realises what he's doing is fucking mental. So I, I would like to think that John's maybe done all right. I think you're right about Michael, because when we meet Michael's wife, it's established that she's a recovering alcoholic. So maybe they pick Michael up, maybe he's maybe he's in recovery, or maybe he's, like, to your point, he's struggling. And... uh Thomas, no idea. You know, you like to think that he's still unchanged, a bit older. You know what I mean, but pretty much still the same guy, with the same concerns and the same issues and everything. I don't know. Although in saying that about Michael, he's obviously been keeping himself busy because when he gets stabbed, his first port of call to go and get patched up is to go to a brothel. <laughs> so, and and he knows the you know the the lady there very well. So yeah. I wonder if he's been a, a frequent visitor since he split up with his wife. Maybe that's why he split up with his wife. Maybe who knows? Maybe because he's a too much of a fan of the hooers. Is that yeah? He's too much of a shagger. Maybe. I mean the thing. I mean, do you think this film would get made now? Like twenty three years later. Twenty three years later. Fucking hell, that's mental, isn't it? I don't think it would be completely out of place. I mean, there's it, there's obviously a few things that possibly wouldn't work quite so well i mean you'd have to have not only sheila's wheelchair battery to die but also her mobile phone battery as well yeah but of course if she finds the girls then they've got they've always got a charger and she'd be able to get in touch with one of her brothers at some point Uh, but you could say that about just about any film that you you think of from back then that kind of logically it wouldn't work now that we have mobile phones etc yeah yeah i don't think it would work quite as well if you were remaking it for today, um, and I don't know how well it would be accepted, but I think if you were remaking it for Hollywood, then it would obviously be glitz and glamour and gunfights and oh, these poor orphans. <laughs> They've been left <laughs> all alone. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, there's, there's stuff that probably would be, you know, just, I mean, the, there's this whole sort of cancel culture now, right? So there's some there's, there's some elements in there that probably, like some lines and stuff that you you might be, if you were the filmmaker, you might be asked to take out, perhaps. I don't know, but it is weird because I guess this was like right before, like literally right before everybody had mobile phones. So like, so in 97, I think I got my first phone in 1998 or 99, I think. So it's literally right before. And they, and then it just it seemed like within the space of maybe a year, everybody had mobile phones. Yeah, I mean, it would certainly change a couple of things. You know, Tanga's customer 
wouldn't be knocking one out with an old copy of Mayfair in the toilet. <laughs> He'd be using his iPad to <laughs> to knock one out in there. Does the guy not pay for his Chinese with a check or something? Reached in there, would you? See if you can find us a beef with black bean sauce. Here's a cunt that's needing fucking shot. Always pays with check. Never a tip, never a thank you. Fuck all. That's it. Hope not for us, would you? He does, yes. He pays yeah. with a check, which, again, you wouldn't get nowadays. But I guess it, that would just kind of be the same as just handing your card over, wouldn't it? Yeah, or you'd pay on the app. So yeah, so that that's orphans. Any other thoughts on the film? No, I say I really enjoyed watching it again. Um, it was something that I was I was very pleased to revisit. And yeah, it's just a nice little film. You know, it's not too long. It it trundles along. <laughs> that's a fucking brilliant review, isn't it? Which 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 you think of the film? Ah, it wasn't too long. You know. <laughs> Do you know what pacey. I mean? Yeah, it's I not something that you're sitting there. Some films, films nowadays are too long. That is my You're opinion. Right. Last weekend, I watched the new Bill and Ted film. It's 88 minutes long. Perfect. Perfect. That's exactly what you need. You can watch it and then go about the rest of your evening as well. So I thought Orphans was kind of the perfect length because it doesn't drag. There's not really yeah. any fat in there. And when you've got four central characters to follow around, you would think that there would be something, one of their storylines maybe isn't as good as the others, but they all play a very big part in the film. And I don't think there's anything that you can really cut out. So when I'm saying that it's not too long, it is a compliment that it it's it keeps going. And as you've said earlier, it, it's got, it's a beautiful mix of is very funny but also there are very dark moments and it's just a good balance you know you kind of never know what's going to happen next and it is full of surprises you know as to say like tanga getting spunked in the face or getting his leg blown off in the van as well you know you're not expecting that to happen so there are lots of surprising elements and yeah I, i really enjoyed it it's not a film i'll probably watch again in a hurry because i think it's probably best to it's the type of film you leave for a while and then would come back to. But I will definitely watch it again. To go back to what you were saying about, about running times, I think you're absolutely right. Because I suppose when this film came out, it, it would have probably had a, probably quite a limited cinema release. You know, maybe like, I imagine it would have been in the GFT in Glasgow. Maybe, I don't know if the Belmont Cinema in Aberdeen was open in 1997. I feel like that opened a bit later. But... um yeah, you know, it, it probably wouldn't have got an awful lot of uh, cinema showings because, I mean, by this point, most cinemas were multiplexes, right? You know what I mean? Like, it was, this was like, for the UK anyway, this was the sort of golden age of the fucking multiplex and 10 screens and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, you, you want to hold someone's attention. You know, you want it to be fairly succinct, to your point, quite pacey. You know, every every scene... It's important in the film. There's the you, you don't watch it and think, well, they could have maybe not done that. They could have left that part out or whatever. But now, I think because of like streaming and because of the internet and everything, you know, you can, you know, like if you've got Netflix, you've got hundreds of films at your disposal. And because the I think because the online streaming thing has become really competitive, like everybody's got a fucking streaming platform. You know, like Disney obviously have just recently launched Disney Plus. Apple have just launched their own one with original content. You've got Amazon Prime, you've got Netflix. But it's probably never been easier to get a project funded. 
you know what I mean? Because it's so competitive. Everybody wants original content. If you've got a bit of if you've got a bit of stock, a bit of skin in the game, then you know, like if you're the guys who wrote Game of Thrones, for example, like I, th- I heard that Netflix paid like a nine-figure sum to get their next project. Bear in mind that they've not even fucking written anything yet, but they've just basically whatever they come up with next will be on Netflix. So I think, you know, for that reason, people just make fucking really long films now. They can be quite indulgent, like self-indulgent, you know what I mean? I think it's an indication of, you know, back in the day, and that's not something I want to say too much on this podcast, but, you know, back in the day, you would go in and if you were picking a film to choose to, to watch in that evening, you'd go into Blockbuster or Azad or Ritz video and you would look through the, you know, and it was very much the covers that attracted you. And you would look at the cover, you would look at who was in it, you would read the back of the video box and then you would put it back. I don't remember ever looking at the runtime of a film. If we're flicking through Netflix trying to find something to watch upon an evening, the runtime is probably one of the first things I look at. And I will just say, I'm not watching that. It's fucking two and a half hours long. Once you actually start watching it, it doesn't, time flies by. You're watching a film, unless it's a piece of shit. Uh, But generally, that's one of the first things I look at nowadays. Like, how long is it? No, I can't be bothered with that. Yeah. I I struggle to sit through a long film. And I think one one of the reasons is, coming back to it, because my fucking mobile phone. You know what I mean? So I'll be, you know, and if, if, if unless the film is absolutely fucking brilliant, and my and I'm my, I'm wrapped, my attention is like wrapped to it, then if it slows down a wee bit, I'll be like, oh, I'll just pick up my phone and see what's going on and fucking Instagram or whatever, and then I end up sort of losing the threads of the film. You know what I mean? I'm just kind of. I'll, kind of aware of it and then i'm like oh fuck it i'm not guilty of looking on instagram or stuff on my phone when i'm watching a film i'm usually focused but what one thing i am guilty of is when you see an actor or an actress and you think what have i seen them in before and rather than wait to the end of the film because let's face it you'll have forgotten about it you have to go on imdb and check and then you find out who they are and then you're like oh yeah it's so and so from so and so okay Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, that satisfied that. And then it happens again. And then, yeah, that's what I'm kind of guilty of. But or, or you end up down the rabbit hole. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know she was in that. Who else is in that? You know what I mean? And then before you know it, you've, you've gone through about 16 like, pages. <laughs> so is that us for orphans? I believe so. We haven't discussed it in about 10 minutes. So, yeah, I imagine <laughs> that's about it. So, okay. So I have picked a film for next time, but you'll be pleased to hear that I've checked the runtime and it's only one hour and 41 minutes. So that fits well within your attention span that I think you should be able to manage. And just what we were talking about as well, in terms of it being Netflix and stuff, it's a Netflix produced film. Brilliant. So it's from 2018. And it's a film about two friends who take a weekend hunting trip to the Highlands. But a shocking turn of events turns it into a nightmare. Now their only hope is to swallow their paranoia and act normal. So I'd like to discuss the 2018 film Calibre. Brilliant. I look forward to that. Of course, the the, the other task we've got between now and then is is finding a local news story that 
tops the shite in the freezer. It's going to be a while before we top the shite in the freezer, I think, my friend. It's going to be quite a while. All right. Until next time. Yes. So until next time. So thank you very much for listening, everyone. Uh, If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can follow us on Instagram at CultureSwallyPod. Or if you want to get in touch with us and email us with anything you'd like us to review or any news stories, if you can beat the jobby, then drop us a line on cultureswally at gmail.com. So until next time. Until next time. See you later. Get yourself to fuck.